0: tonight, if you would please, to First John chapter 1. And I want to call your attention this evening to a, a particular phrase in this seventh verse of the first chapter that I really think is one of the most important statements that we have in the Bible. We've been in a discussion for the past few weeks about the effects that sin has on our fellowship with God and with each other. And we have this promise in verse number 7 that says that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I want to pull out tonight particularly that phrase, the phrase about the blood. And I want to speak to you about the power that it has for us as Christians. First uh, John chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading at verse number 5, and our text first is verse number 7. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. A few weeks ago I was having a conversation with one of the members of the church, and we were talking about a new church that had opened in Ronan Park. And I'd seen the church before, but I really didn't know very much about it but I heard some things that were quite troubling about how the gospel has been downgraded by those who claim that they're teaching the truth. Now, all of us know that, I mean, if you've been around very much, you know that most churches, uh, you'll never hear on a Sunday morning a sermon about hell. In fact, you may not hear that in any sermon that they preach. You won't hear anything about sin, and there's not anything there about judgment. And that's because there's this feeling that it swept Christianity, that what we really need to do when we we preach from the, well, call it from the Bible, sometimes it's even not. But the thing that we really need to do is just, we have to give a more positive message. We don't want to confront people with their sins. We don't want to be judgmental about anybody's lifestyle. We don't want anybody to think that their lifestyle is unacceptable. We don't want to upset anybody because People are just having a hard time now, and uh, they feel bad enough already. And we don't want to come to church and not have it be a happy, fun place where nobody really feels out of place. And so in this viewpoint that they have, they really have a, well, actually, a uh, distorted viewpoint of Christ. Because they picture a Christ who's compassionate enough that he's going to accept anyone regardless of the way that they are, any person just the way that they are. He's not going to make too much fuss about their life and what they've decided to do. And so you hear things about, and some of the favorite verses that you hear, well, Jesus ate with sinners and Jesus hung out with prostitutes. We know that he uh, forgave a woman who was accused of adultery. And somehow they've got this thing figured out that, that Jesus... Uh, teachings are divorced from calling people from their sins, calling them to repentance, and insisting that they come and follow him with a life of faith and holiness. And in the process of that kind of teaching, the truth of the gospel is lost. Uh, Salvation is no longer about being saved from sin, but rather salvation is being saved from our insecurities, uh, saved from low self-esteem, And so really, uh, salvation becomes a pacifier that really just moves us from bad thoughts to good thoughts, and so far from understanding that God is going to judge us. uh, We just want to make sure that we're not too harsh on ourselves. We don't want to judge ourselves too harshly. And so that's why the doctrine of hell is lost. That's why condemnation for sin is lost. It's why the wrath of God is lost. It's why holiness is lost. All of these things go away. And in the process of doing that, it becomes necessary to de-emphasize the death of Christ on the cross. And to stop talking about the blood that has been shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so churches don't want to talk about that anymore. They don't want to speak about the blood because the blood is too depressing to them. The blood is gory. The blood is unpleasant. Blood is distasteful. And so they want to remove it from the preaching. Don't speak about the blood of Christ because it ruins the mood. Several years ago, there was a movement among evangelical churches denominational churches to start taking references to the blood out of their hymn books. And so they wouldn't sing power in the blood. They won't sing what can wash away our sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So the blood is left out of the singing, it's left out of the preaching, and they give you the picture that the blood of Christ is unimportant. And that's why I say that 1 John 1 verse 7 is such an important verse of scripture. Now there are many throughout the Bible that speak of the blood of Christ, but the context of 1 John chapter 1 shows us that it is impossible to know God. It is impossible to have fellowship with God unless we come to him on the basis of the blood. Now tonight I want to give you four important truths about the blood of Jesus. We don't have any hope at all without the blood sacrifice. So I want to begin this evening by uh, giving you this truth that the blood has atoning power. And atonement is really an important concept in Scripture. In fact, we can say it's, it's really the, the heart of the gospel. It's a word that means reconciliation. It means to take two parties that are at odds with one another and to bring them back into fellowship again. So naturally, to understand uh, the atonement, we do have to understand why it's necessary. And the necessity for it comes out of the rebellion of man. The scripture says that we're all sinners and sin has separated us from God. And I'm not going to go into the proofs of depravity of man tonight. Uh, I don't have time to do that. But you really don't even need the proof. All you have to do is just look in your newspaper. L- read three or four lines in the newspaper and you're not going to have a hard time figuring out that man is sinful. What people really need to know is what that sin has done to us. What's happened to us because of sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So there's the result of it. We're separated from God. And not only that, but the Bible teaches that the separation that we have is adversarial. Romans eight verse seven says that we are at enmity with God. That means uh, means hostility between us. Romans five verse ten says we are the enemies of God. Romans eight verse six says that our condition is one of spiritual death. And so the scriptures are quite clear about this. We are not at peace with God. And so when people go to church and they want to feel good about themselves and, and they want to leave out the blood of Christ, they want, don't want to talk about sin, they don't want to talk about hell or any of that, they're leaving out this very important factor that God is the enemy of everyone who's not been reconciled to Him. And so if you want to, don't want to talk about sin, you're completely clueless and careless about what the true condition of man is. Now, the sin of man, of course, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam disobeyed God, and from that very first breach of God's commandments, all people were made sinners. But the wonderful thing about it is right there in the Garden, just as soon as man sinned, God made a way that he could be reconciled back to him again. And the way that he did it was through a blood offering, a blood sacrifice. Now, let's... Anyone should be confused about the necessity of the blood for the atonement. All you really need to do is look in the Scripture and see, see about the most holy day of all holy days in Israel. That's the day of atonement. And that's when the priest made a sacrifice, not only for his own sins, but also for the sins of the entire nation. And so he would go into the Holy of Holies there in the tabernacle, and he would take the blood of the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle that on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. The book of Leviticus tells us, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of its blood his blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And the sprinkling of that blood, the result of it or the effect of it is found in verse number 30. It says, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So the atonement, day of atonement was a day of reconciliation. That's when the breach between God's people and him were healed because of the blood. And then we go into the New Testament, and it shows us there, uh, the Scriptures tie this in with the death of the cross and with the shedding of Christ's blood. And in Hebrews, we have this direct link between what the priest did on the Day of Atonement and what Christ did on the cross. In Hebrews 9 it says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and uh, of, of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so the effect of the shedding of Christ's blood is to obtain eternal redemption, we also notice another effect, according to chapter two in Hebrews. It says, "Wherefore, at all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God." To what? Make re- reconciliation for the sins of his people." So there we see that the blood is the way that we are reconciled to God. The blood has atoning power, and never does the Bible say that we can ever be reconciled to God without blood. And so when you eliminate that, when you take the blood out of the preaching, you've taken away the only way that man can be reconciled. And so in other words, without the blood, without that reconciling factor, then man remains the enemy of God. And according to Scripture, he's condemned in his sins. So you can go to church, and you can sing all the songs that you want. You can sing positive, uplifting uh, songs, and you can hear motivational-type messages. But all that you've ever done is just put a Band-Aid on the surface of the skin because there is a cancer that's still underneath, and it's not going away. It's incurable. Only the shedding of blood. By that is there the remission of sin. Now we're going to talk about that more in a few weeks when I get back from vacation. When we get into the second chapter, there's just some great pictures in the Old Testament where we're going to go back to and look at sacrifices and the the meaning of it really even becomes more graphic. Now secondly, the blood has saving power. Now that would seem to be almost the same as what we just talked about, but I want to expand it just a little bit to show you what the blood actually does for us. It saves us. Well, it saves us from what? Well, listening to the preaching in most churches, there's really nothing to be saved from. I mean, there's no negativity at all. Uh, and you would think that everybody just merrily going on their way. We don't have a care in the world. may remember I, I remarked about a message that R.C. Sproul preached last year in Fremont... It's a very simple message, a very basic one. And yet, the message was missed by most evangelical churches. Especially people that are preaching a prosperity gospel and and self-esteem gospel. And the point of his message is, what are you saved from? And it's a good question. And the answer to it is, the answer is, you are saved from God. That's what you're saved from. You see, the blood of Christ actually has the power to save us from God. Romans 5, 8, and 9 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now these people uh, that don't want to preach the blood, they're skipping and hopping around and jumping up and down and singing, Oh, praise God, and they don't really know that the wrath of God is on them. They need to be saved from the wrath of God. You know, everybody likes to get the Bible out and quote John 3.16, but they don't seem to read too far there. They kind of like to read the part where you believe in Christ and you have everlasting life, but they don't say too much about or they hurry over the part that says, you will not perish. And then they don't read far enough to get down to verse number 36 in John 3, where it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. But it says, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But what? The wrath of God abideth on him. Now, what is that wrath of God? Well, that's what we need to be saved from. We have to be saved from the wrath of God, because if there isn't anything holding him back, he will pour out his wrath. Now, what is it? Well, Revelation tells us, Revelation 14, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of the torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night. That is the wrath of God. Now, if you want a positive message, I can wrap it up for you very nicely. Without the blood, I'm positive you're going to spend eternity in hell. I can't think of anything better that I would want to know that I'm saved from the wrath of God. Nothing is going to make me happier than to know I'm saved from the wrath of God. And how am I saved? Well, the Scripture says I'm saved by the blood of Christ. That's what has the power to take away God's wrath. And so, uh, Romans says we've been justified by the blood, and the result of that is we are saved from wrath. And so we can sing songs. We can sing songs like rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. And why do we sing it? Because there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. You know, that's a great song, All the way through that thing, it speaks about the blood of Christ. The second verse, I think it's the second, goes on and says, The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. What's that fountain? It's the fountain of blood. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. And can you say now that you don't want to preach about the blood? How could somebody say, well, the blood's too gory, the blood's too depressing? There's really nothing that's more glorious, appealing to the people of God than the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, there is no such thing as bloodless Christianity. There there can't be. Christianity is about being saved. And the scripture says there is no salvation without the blood. So I'm saved from God's wrath. And that's what 1 John 2 verse 2 says. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, we're going to talk about that verse extensively later, but propitiation actually means this, the appeasement of God's wrath. God is appeased because of the blood of Christ. Now, do you want to tell me that you can't preach the blood, you shouldn't preach it? Well, how how are are they going to take away God's wrath? It's only the blood. It's in the power of the blood. The cross has the power to take away God's wrath. Now, let's go a little bit further with that thought. The blood has atoning power. The blood has saving power. Thirdly, the blood has protecting power. Now, what I'm doing here, we're just sort of building thoughts on top of one another. The blood has saving power because the cross takes away God's wrath. And you know why? You know why it is? It's because all of God's wrath was expended upon Christ. Hell was poured out on Christ. A few years ago, I gave an illustration about how that God's wrath is taken away by the cross. There was a story of a a man and his young daughter that were hiking in the western plains of Canada. And as they were walking along, they saw way out in the distance that there was this huge roaring prairie fire that was coming right towards them. And when this man saw that, he saw there was no way to get away. So he quickly grabbed his backpack and he took some flammable liquid out of his backpack and he sprayed it on the grass around him and he lit a fire. And then he put that out. He stamped it all out and then he sprayed some more grass and let the fire blaze up and then he stamped that out. And then he lit some more grass and he stamped that out. And he kept doing that and doing that. And his little daughter that was with him asked him, Dad, why are you doing that? What's going on here? And he said, The fire can't come where the fire has already been. And that is exactly what the cross did. The fire of hell flamed out at the cross. And so there is no fuel for the fire after the cross because sins are paid for by the blood. And so if you are covered under the blood of Christ, hell has no fury for you because God's wrath is taken away. And the classic demonstration that we have of that from Scripture is the Passover. Moses was warned that the death angel was coming. God was about to pour out his, his vengeance on Egypt. And to avoid being caught in those crosshairs, God told Moses, he said, what, what I want you to do, tell the people to kill a lamb, sacrifice a lamb. And then take the blood of that lamb and spread it on the doorposts and on the lintels of your houses. And then you go in that house, go in the door underneath that blood and you stay there until the death angel comes. And when he sees that blood, he'll pass over you. The blood was their protection. And the symbolism of the Passover pointed directly at the sacrifice of Christ. Now the New Testament reveals to us things that are hidden in the old and that age age-old ceremony that they practiced for so many years, the Jewish people kept sacrificing that Passover lamb. Generations they kept doing that until it came time that the New Testament explains what that's about, and it's about the death of the cross. Paul stated it in 1 Corinthians. He said, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Christ is the Passover lamb. And that's why when John the Baptist saw him coming, he said, Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Peter said that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Do you remember how the Ethiopian eunuch was riding in his chariot and he was reading about this very thing in the He was reading the Scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53, and it says in the book of Acts, the place of the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, And uh, the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And you know what the underlying theme of all that was? What was he reading about? The sacrifice, the blood of Christ. He was sacrificed. His blood was poured out. And the blood is the way that we escape the wrath of God. That's our protection. Now, there's a wonderful piece that's brought into this in Romans chapter 5. I want to go back there for just a moment to verses I read just a minute ago. Uh, I read verses 8 and 9, but I want to add to that verse number 10 where we get the rest of the power of the blood. It says, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than, than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, let me point out something here in passing before I make the main point. The blood of Christ and the death of Christ are interchangeable terms in Scripture. Verse 9 says we are justified by the blood. But it would be just as correct to say there we are justified by his death. And then verse number 10 says that we are reconciled by the death of his son. And that would be just as correct to say we are reconciled by the blood of his son. And so when you see this in scripture, the death of the cross and the blood of the cross, those mean the same thing. You never entertain the death of Christ without blood. Now the point that I want to go back to is that Romans 5 says that we are reconciled to his death, by his death, when we were enemies. His death has the power to save us. And then he goes on, how much more does his life have the power to keep us? So Christ has risen and based upon his appearance in heaven with his own blood of the sacrifice, he stays there continually protecting us. Now listen to Hebrews again. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto him by God, seeing he ever liveth, "...to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore." Now, you see what this is saying? It's saying that the blood follows us from our salvation, from the point that we believe Christ, from the inception of that. It follows us all the way through our lives until we come into the presence of God. And so the blood of Christ is always there protecting us so we can't fall. there there's so many passages of Scripture on this that it's impossible. It is impossible for us to believe that salvation could ever be lost. And that's because the blood is continually cleansing us. It's continually protecting us. And so if we say, well, you could lose your salvation, then we're saying the blood is weak. The blood doesn't have the power to bring ultimate salvation. Christ's blood doesn't have the power to protect. Now, I don't know what people are pretending to read in the Bible. They can't read the Bible without coming across reference after reference to the death of the cross. It is not a bloodless death. You know, I think that's probably why people are surprised when they come into Brian Baptist Church. They've been to other churches. They've listened to other preachers. And what they've heard is not preaching that comes from the Bible. They don't hear the Bible read. And, And so it all comes as a surprise to them. What are you talking about? And preachers don't read it. And the people don't want to hear it because they know if they use the Bible, inevitably they're going to come across the blood. From Genesis to Revelation, page after page, it's blood upon blood, blood upon blood. It's always blood. And so if you don't want blood, then don't bring a Bible to the church. Don't preach the Bible because the blood is everywhere. There isn't any such thing as a bloodless Jesus. and there's no such thing as a wrathless God. And when we say that God is love, then we have to admit when we say that why Christ came with his blood. Because... The shedding of his blood was an act of God's love for sinners so that his wrath could be taken away. This is what we're talking about. Is that a positive message? Well, that's the positive message because you take the blood out and what do you have? No atonement, no salvation, no protection. And that's all negative. Let me sum it up then by bringing us full circle back again to the first chapter of 1 John. The last observation is the blood has cleansing power. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. Now, we've looked at this passage before. I mean, this is our second go-around with it. And I explained before that this verse is speaking to Christians. This is not talking about, you know, the initial inception of our salvation. Now, it is true. It is true that the very moment that you're saved, the blood washes away your sins. Now, sin is a stain that runs deep right down into your soul, and there's no way that you can get rid of it except the blood should wash it away. We are justified by the blood and thus justified from the guilt of our sins, and so the stain of sin is removed. And we read that Romans said we're justified by the blood. And so those who take away the blood also take away justification. Now, you can quote me on this one or do whatever you want to do, that you don't want to meet God without being justified. And the illustration of that prairie fire says why. Because if you meet him without being justified, you're caught with your sins, which means that the fuel for the fire is still there. The fuel is on you. But the blood of Christ washes that away. It cleanses from sin. Revelation 1 verse 5 says that we're washed from our sins in Christ's blood. But this is speaking to Christians, and so we're talking to people who have already been justified. So we have to look at the cleansing again, and we see that the blood of Jesus Christ, the real interpretation in the word that's used here is a word of ongoing action. It keeps on cleansing us from sin. So we stay in favor with God because the blood is always perpetually cleansing. Now we go back to Romans 5 again. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Much more being reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Now listen to what John Gill says. He says, Here is meant the interceding life of Christ in heaven, where he lives and ever lives to make intercession for his people, and to see the salvation he has obtained by his death, applied unto them, and they put into the possession of it. Now you remember what I said just a moment ago about the interchangeable terms? Gil could have written it this way. To see the salvation he has obtained by his blood applied to him. And they put into the possession of it. And so all through your life, the blood keeps on cleansing from sin. And so once you become a child of God, you're never going to get out from under the blood. It's there for perpetual cleansing. And this is exactly why the scripture says another sacrifice is never needed. Christ does not need to be sacrificed again. One time is enough. And God relies upon that blood to take us all the way to the end of our life and then right into the possession of eternal life. That is the power of Christ's blood. And so the blood has to be there. That's why John speaks of fellowship with God, being dependent upon this blood sacrifice of Christ. And so those without it, they have no atonement. They have no salvation. There is no protection. There is no cleansing. Now let me add one last word for those who don't like the blood. Does it really matter what you think about the blood of Christ? I mean, is it okay if you just leave this out? Can you ignore it? Is that all right? Well, those in Christian churches, I think the Scripture is showing us that, and I put Christian in quotation marks, that those in those churches stand in greater jeopardy because of what they've done with the blood than those who have never heard about the blood of Christ in all of their lives. When a church member or a preacher says, we don't want to hear about the blood, then let me tell you what God says about them. This is also in Hebrews chapter 10. He that despised Moses' Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what happens when you turn up your nose at the blood of Christ. When you count his blood as unworthy and unholy, the Bible says that you are trampling Christ's blood underneath your feet. And it gives us the fate of the apostate. It says God will have vengeance upon him. It's not a light thing. When you go into a church and they've taken the blood out of the message... And really, we've already said you can't talk about hell unless you want to talk about the blood also. And you can't talk about the wrath of God at all unless you're going to talk about the blood also. And so when you go into a church that preaches no hell, and they preach no wrath from God, and they've taken the blood out, that is not a simple, easy thing. It's not a light thing. And I would caution people that would choose churches based on that kind of theology and listen to that and think oh we're serving God where we're happy we've got songs to sing it's uplifting and oh isn't it great to praise Jesus you're not praising Jesus you're trampling his blood under your feet that's what they need to hear and so people need to come out of those kinds of apostate churches and learn the blood of Christ is so important we can't leave it out I don't think out of any message now somehow, we're, as I said, we're always talking about the blood. If we're talking about hell, we're, we're talking about blood. Wrath, we're talking about blood. Atonement, we're talking about blood. It all goes back to the blood. It centers on the death of Christ on the cross. And we never can get away from that. We're not Christian. There is no such thing as being Christian if you get away from it. So we caution people, never, never let the blood go out of the preaching. And so when you preach... On this, when you speak of the blood logically, you're including man's depravity. You're talking about hell, the wrath of God. And the blood actually has no frame of reference without those things. You know, there are many people that pastors will get up and and in churches they'll talk about the death of Christ. They will say that. and, And they'll put it out there, a sweet little message about how Christ died. But they never relate it to what it's all about. What's it for? They don't tell people they're sinners. And they don't tell people the wrath of God abides upon them. That kind of death means nothing. I might as well died or you might as well died. It means nothing at all. Christ, death and his blood, the, the, the death speaks of his blood and it has to be shed. It's the only way. Again, we're reconciled with God. You know, I love the song. This, the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross great song, a great message, and that's what we need to heed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we're able to look into your word tonight and taking this one phrase out of the scriptures and seeing just the importance of it, We can't ever get to the bottom of this. We can't get to the depths of all of this. We've just given a few reasons tonight why the blood is so important. And Lord, we pray that we'll Always be a church that preaches about the blood of Christ. Sinners are cleansed from their sins in the blood of Jesus. And we never want to forget that. Lord, bless our people tonight. Help us to tell that story wherever we go. And we just give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.